Hey there, welcome in to another edition of the Stingers Up Sacramento State Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Ross. Thank you so much for checking us out. I got to tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I continue to get more great feedback from you guys out there. The numbers are growing. Hornet fans are growing, much like you've seen the attendance at the games here. If you've gone to the games, listened on the radio, or watched them on television, there's a lot of people paying attention to this program, and it's a lot of fun. Credit to the coaching staff, the players, the university for making this uh, kind of must-follow football. And uh, we're going to do that in our podcast here today. We've got to recap another thrilling game, an impressive win over Idaho. We're going to have special guests today, including my broadcast partner on the radio, longtime analyst, friend of mine, Steve McElroy, is going to join us. We'll get his perspective on, on what this last couple of years, and specifically this year, is like. Killian Roscoe, it's been a longtime Hornet, member of that defensive line. We're going to check in with him. And we got to look ahead again to another big showdown this weekend. As Sacramento State plays another top 10 team, it's going to be number five Weber, number two Sacramento State, in just another classic coming up in Ogden, Utah this weekend. So lots for us to get to. I'm going to start quickly with, with a brief story about Saturday's game. For any of you that didn't hear the game on the radio, I'm assuming so many of you went to the game, which was awesome to see. It was a little bit different than the Montana game, similar in the sense that the Hornets were the team with the lead and watched Idaho come back. But what was different is that the Sacramento State Hornets responded on the final drive. And what I wanted to get to on that part is, as a broadcaster, you really just want to worry about calling the game. Hopefully you got all your information. You're working well with your your team. And uh, you just hopefully call a good game. Never going to be perfect. You're always kind of chasing that. And you, the last thing you want to worry about is your equipment as far as the broadcast equipment. So, you know, the Hornets had just given up the, t- uh, the touchdown to Idaho, and they're on a drive hoping to win the game. And it's roughly in the last two minutes, and the Hornets are now inside the 10-yard line. Idaho's starting to use timeouts, and Steve and I and Danny, when we're on the call, we could hear the equipment start to make, not the equipment, but through our headset, a little crackle and just it didn't sound right kind of similar to static but it just it didn't sound right and another Danny Danny Pinto back at our studios was telling us hey guys this is not sounding good in our ears he was telling us that so he thought we should reconnect the equipment and I'm thinking at this time and I look at Steve briefly like we can't reconnect during what could be a potential game-winning drive and sure enough shortly after that the next thing we know some red lights come on on our on our equipment and it just goes out completely out while the Hornets have the ball inside the 10 yard line, potentially going to win the game. So quick work by Steve, quick work by Danny Pinto back at the studio and Danny Pinto called Steve's cell phone. Steve hands me the phone while Steve's trying to get, you know, equipment rebooted and figured out. We thought we fried the machine. So I'm thinking the rest of the game is not going to be on the air. I was going to continue to do the game into a, a handheld recorder that we have there, but it's all through our equipment. So nothing was going, was working. So the resourcefulness that we came up with is I started to call the game on the cell phone that Steve had handed to me. Danny Pinto on his end at the studio held it up on a speaker phone to the microphone, and that basically was going over the air. It didn't sound great, but it was on the air. All the while, Steve's working on trying to reboot, and after maybe one play and another timeout, I put the phone into my on my ear but um, inside the headsets, if you can imagine this. I had it trapped. And then before, so my hands were free, and then I could hear in my ear all of a sudden the same thing I was saying into the phone, so I knew we were suddenly connected. You're going to hear it coming up in the recap. It was literally 
a half second or maybe even in the play call of the Asher O'Hara touchdown. Certainly a memory that um, I'll have. I don't want to go through again if we don't have to, but it made it all the better that the Hornets won the game. So with all that said, I, I hope you enjoyed the, the brief story, a little hectic nature on our part. I'm going to ask Steve about that coming up, but um, let's recap what happened last Saturday. It started early with the Hornets again playing a very good Idaho team. Was impressed by them. I could tell Coach Taylor was impressed by them before the game even started. And then now that I've seen them play, that's a good football team. This is a quality win for Sacramento State to stay perfect. But the Hornets started with the ball. They went down the field, looked good on the first drive, and it would end with a touchdown. On this second down and six from the pistol. Dunaway. He'll keep it. He'll throw over the middle. Quick slant is caught by Miller. Miller's to the 10. He's to the 5. He's in the end zone. Touchdown, Sacramento State. A 31-yard throw and catch over the middle to Miller. He is in the end zone. Following that, the Hornets would watch Idaho go down the field. They would try a field goal from 40. They have a very good kicker in Ricardo Chavez, but he would miss. And so Sacramento State still led 7-0. The Hornets drove again, got inside Idaho's uh, other side of the 50, but went for a fourth down and 10 at the 42-yard line. Couldn't convert that, so a turnover on downs. Uh, Then Idaho tried the same thing. Their next possession, they had a fourth and two at the Hornets' 31. After missing their field goal, they turned it over on downs. We had kind of aggressive coaches here, which I appreciate, and after one quarter, it was 7 to nothing. Let's take you to the second quarter, and the Hornets, from that possession, moved downfield, got into range, and Kyle Sinkowski booted it through from 26 yards out as Sacramento State led 10 nothing. From that point, Idaho would finally get on the board. Elisha Cummings would catch a touchdown pass, uh, 16 yards. Actually, it was a rush up the middle, 16 yards for the score. 10 to 7, Sacramento State still feeling pretty good, but trying to add to their lead if they could before halftime. And the Hornets would do just that on a, uh, a well crafted drive. Took some time, got down the field, and capped it off thanks to Marcus Fulcher. Here we go, Hornets after the timeout. Here's a delay give to Fulcher. Fulcher bounces outside, turns inside, falls close to the goal line, no signal. He's in! Touchdown, Sacramento State. He stretched for the goal line, and the line judge right down there by Danny says he's in. Count it, touchdown Hornets. Marcus Fulcher slithers through for a score. So 17-7, Sacramento State with the lead at the break. We go to the third quarter, which Idaho started with the football, but the Hornets would force them into a situation where they got another fourth down, fourth and nine. They would go for it, but an incomplete pass broken up by Caleb Nelson put the Hornet offense back out on the field with a 10-point lead. This is where they're lethal. Usual DNA for the Hornets. If you've watched this football team, they want to run the ball, they want to get ahead, mix in the pass, rely on good special teams, defense, and a good ground game, and then just get ahead of you and basically choke you out if they can. Well, the Hornets were starting to do that. Up 17-7, get the ball back. They do a drive, and they get near the goal line. This is where Asher O'Hara is so dangerous as a runner, but the Hornets would switch it up, and Asher would throw it. Pierre Williams goes in motion. O'Hara, he will roll to his right, looks back over the middle, throws back over the middle into traffic. It's caught! Pierre Williams in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. Asher O'Hara to Pierre Williams. Back of the end zone, good from eight yards out, and the Hornets lead 23-7. to So now it's 24-7, Sacramento State. They've outplayed Idaho at this point, looked good. Idaho's a lo- the number one time of possession team in the nation, so you figured it would take them some time to get into scoring range, and that's what they would do. They would take their sweet time, but they would go down the field and score and make it 24-14. You're still feeling pretty good, though, if you're the Hornets, as they would get it into the fourth quarter. 
So up 24-14 into the fourth quarter. You're playing at home in front of a huge crowd. In fact, fourth largest crowd ever at Hornet Stadium, largest non-Causeway crowd. And after uh, the first play of the fourth quarter in which Idaho punted, the Hornets had the ball at their own 37-yard line. So you're thinking maybe maybe you run a couple plays, who knows, but that's where Troy Taylor can can trick you, can deceive you, and they tried a deep shot down the sideline and an incredible interception, a one-handed interception by Marcus Harris on the Hornets' sideline, kind of started to flip the game. So a turnover there, still up 10, but Idaho would go to work. They would score, make it 24-21. All right, now it's a little bit nerve-wracking at Hornet Stadium. About eight and a half minutes to go. And now another possession for the Hornets. First and 10 at their own 25, and then a tipped pass that went right into the hands of Paul Maola of the Vandals, and he returned it with a nice return, and there was a personal foul at the end of the play, but still, Idaho was in great position now to all of a sudden take their first lead of the game, and they would do just that. Full house backfield. McCoy's going to throw. Looks for the quick slant. Instead, it goes for the big ball to the end zone. It's caught. Touchdown, Vandals. They've got the lead. It's Hayden Hatton one more time. Fade to the corner, and the comeback has been complete by the Idaho Vandals. They now take the lead at 27-24. So Hayden Hatton would score for the third time. He had an unbelievable game. And now all of a sudden, Sacramento State was down 28-24 with six and a half minutes to go. And here's where one of the most impressive drives I've seen of this team in a long time happened. Now they've got so many over the last couple of years, but the Hornets really went to the ground. They had thrown two passes, had bad breaks, had an incredible interception, a bad break on the other one, but it only had to run two plays. And now we're down in the fourth quarter, had their timeouts, had 626 to go, started with it at their 25-yard line. And I'm just going to read the play-by-play sheet here. And this is how it went. Asher O'Hara, run right, 26 yards. Asher O'Hara, run up the middle, nine yards. Asher O'Hara, this is the only one the Hornets attempted a pass. He was sacked for a loss of five. So now you're third and six at Idaho's 45. Cameron Scadaboo runs right for 10 yards. Hornet first down. Uh, Then Cameron Scadaboo up the middle, five yards. This is down to Idaho's 30. Another Cameron Scadaboo run up the middle for three yards. You're just breaking their spirit here. Third and two, critical play. Well, the Hornets, Asher O'Hara, run up the middle, eight yards. Incredible blocking by the O-line. Now they've got it down to the 19-yard line. Asher O'Hara, run up the middle, two-yard loss of second and 12. Then they go to Marcus Fulcher, a run for eight. Now it's a big third and four. It's Asher O'Hara again, down five yards to the eight-yard line, first and goal, timeout Idaho. Story from earlier, this is when I believe the equipment's starting to go out, if not out completely. So what you might have missed on the radio was Cameron Scadaboo's run up the middle six yards to the two-yard line. Second and goal from the two, timeout Idaho. Then Cameron Scadaboo, no yards, timeout Idaho. So now it's third and goal, and we'll pick it up just like the equipment. You'll hear it starting on the phone, then over the air. Wow, Hornets complete their version of the comeback. Sacramento State for the second straight week to try to come back. They didn't have to do it as dramatically as last week. So I think we're, we might be reconnected here. Here we go, the Hornets on a third and goal. Asher O'Hara will send Tau Tolliver in motion. O'Hara will keep it. O'Hara runs left. He goes airborne. He is in. He is into the end zone. Touchdown, Sacramento State with 1.48 to go. All right, Hornets score. They get the extra point. They lead 31-28, but still 1.48 to go with a good kicker. 
And now it would be on the hands, uh, on the defensive side, to try to preserve yet another win. So here we go. Second straight week that the defense can try to preserve a win. 31-28 Hornets. It's fourth down and 11 for the visiting Vandals. Both teams are perfect in the big sky. Can the Hornet defense step up again and get them to 8-0 on fourth and 11? McCoy changing the play at the line of scrimmage. He has three receivers left, one to the right. They need to get to the Hornet 47-yard line. McCoy back to pass. Pressure coming, and they're going to sack him. Ball is loose. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. The Hornets recover. That'll be the ball game, and Sacramento State is going to go to 8-0. So leaving just over a minute to go, it was just a formality, and all that had to happen now was the Hornets to take a knee and to win the game. The Hornets were looking good, kind of cruising up 24-7. Credit to the Vandals for taking a 28-24 lead, but the final knee is taken, and the Hornets' dream season continues. They stay perfect. They beat the upstart Idaho Vandals 31-28 to in another classic football game. Guys down here with head coach Troy Taylor. What a battle today against this Idaho team. Yeah, they're unbelievably uh well-coached team. That's a really, really good coach, Jay Snack and his staff, and admire that team. I knew coming in how good they were, and I have even more respect for them now. We're very fortunate to get a win. It seemed like there was a bit of runs in this game. Yeah. We had the lead coming into the fourth, a couple of plays in the fourth quarter, and then, you know, the Vandals do what they do. They came back, and they made this tough, but when the team needed to, they came through with that big drive here in the fourth quarter yeah our guys are resilient you know i mean, know we gave up some drives but at the end of the day our defense comes up with a big stop our offense comes up with a with a huge drive um i'm just proud of our guys they they never quit um they always kind of find a way and i always believe that they're going to find a way that's one thing you, we have to say about this team they never give up the guys upstairs and the people will ask how does this team just continue i say they never give up and that's what you have to love about this team. Yeah, they believe, and uh, they work really hard. There's a lot of hard work that, that allows them to believe. Uh, but they just they believe in each other. They believe in their staff and or our staff. And, uh, yeah, like I said, they just continue to play. They always think they're going to find a way, and that's a big deal. Congratulations, Coach, on the win. Thank you. Stingers up. So the Hornets win another 100-yard rushing day by Cameron Scadaboo, 129 for Asher O'Hara. Defense comes up big when they need it, and whew, collect your breath. What a day for Sacramento State. They go to 8-0, first time they've ever done that. Won the last eight games of the regular season last year, the first eight this year. It's 16 in a row in the regular season. They've been incredible in the big sky and still perfect in conference play knocking off Idaho. So a great win, setting up a big game this week. And uh, let's bring in my broadcast partner, Steve McElroy. All right, as I mentioned, uh, the podcast rolling along and the guy I get to work with every week. It's a privilege. Steve McElroy, analyst for Sacramento State football on the radio, does Sacramento State basketball, one heck of a golfer, friend of mine, now joining the show. Steve, how are you? Well, Jason, it's kind of weird to be talking to you on the phone in a formal situation like this, but uh, <laughs> let's make <laughs> we'll it informal. Keep, we'll try and keep it professional. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that, actually, I wanted to get your perspective. I had told this story uh, to begin the podcast, uh, looking at last week's game. Great game, great win. Uh, but you and I and Danny and everyone involved in the broadcast experienced something that uh, we never want to go through again. But I want to get your version of, let's say, 
I don't know, the final two minutes of the game, but really talking more about our equipment. What 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 happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we have a new set of equipment that Sac State provided, which which is what I would have purchased myself. I've always supplied the equipment. Nothing wrong with that. But it started, the light started uh, igniting on the board, and then it started crackling and making fizzing sounds, and it sounded like it was going to smoke or explode. And then we found out that the station wasn't hearing us properly. And so I thought that this expensive new equipment was going to fry, so I had to unplug it. Danny Pinto was smart enough from the studio to call my cell phone, and so I handed you the phone because in the old days we could go on the broadcast over the phone line, but because the game was at hand and we needed to get on right away because the Hornets were driving for the winning touchdown, Danny had you talking on my phone on speakerphone into his phone in the studio, which he held up to the studio mic because we didn't want to waste the time hanging up and calling in on a hard line in the studio. Meanwhile, you know, I, I have no engineering skills other than I've done it for 25 years. I unplugged literally everything to the machine, unplugged it from the wall, and started it all over. And fortunately, it came on just in time for the winning touchdown to transfer back to a good-sounding broadcast. Yeah, it was literally in the call. Like, oh, I, I played the clip. You can hear, um, you know, the distorted, muffled, what we could do to get on the air. Then it just transitions to basically, here goes O'Hara, left side. I mean, it's... The timing was incredible, and just the odd part, I think, for you, for me, for everyone, was it wasn't in pregame. It wasn't in the halftime, first quarter. It's on the winning drive of a historic season. Yes, and Jason, you know how weird analogies always come in my head. It was as if, and you handled it beautifully as well, it was as if we did a tandem parachute jump and our parachute didn't open, and you looked at me like you were panicked, because you want to be on the air to call this winning play. And I say, use a T-shirt as a parachute <laughs> <laughs> until I can figure out how to get the parachute open. It was, you did a great job. And you, you kept, the great thing about Jason is you were completely off air, but you kept announcing the game to nothing as if you were still on. Well, that's what kind of went to my head. I, you, as you know, I record the game as well on like a little recording device there. And I thought, well, at least I, I want to do the game if we need to play it later for the podcast, at least to have the call. But then I realized literally nothing is, is – that was all through our equipment. So this was literally talking to nobody. It wasn't that long. You did an amazing job of being resourceful to get it back on. Danny back at the studio. It was, it was amazing. And uh, <laughs> a moment hopefully will never happen. These are, these are the kind of stories that you and I have done this for 25 years that we do have. Um, but it, at least it all worked out in the end. It's just a, a memorable night. Yeah, and the amazing thing about it is some news person, I don't Twitter or any of those things, but – News people and some other people said that we had a, a great call, which was really your call because I was still working with the equipment. So <laughs> you get 100 percent credit. But they tweeted that we had this great call and it was, a you know, oh, it was amazing. And it was, they didn't realize what was going on behind the scenes. It was as if we performed a concert and we played the song in the wrong key. But yeah. the audience went, oh, that was the greatest. Well, you and I uh, talk about the team all the time, whether we're, you know, we're <clears throat> basically neighbors. We see each other all the time on the phone, whatever. But when when other people reach out to you that, you know, maybe are casual fans of the Hornets or just kind of know what you do and say, Steve, man, what's what's going on with the Hornets this year? What is your explanation of of what Troy Taylor, this coaching staff has done in 2019, 2021 and now this year? What do you say to people like that? Well, first of all, it 
it starts with people that I coached their kids in youth soccer 15 years ago are finding my that they still have my number and are texting or people that I run into that that never even brought up Sac State before. I played golf the other day and the general manager of the golf course and just everybody's starting to know. And we had over 17,000 fans at our last game and people are tuning in on TV. I had a guy from Marysville, Yuba city saying, where are you? I just turned it on TV and I had to text him that we were on the radio. Um, I don't, you know, I'm going to have fun talking to Troy Taylor, interviewing him because you and Danny interview him every week. It's, it's just unbelievable what they've been able to accomplish. I know he's a great coach. I know Chris Richardson must be a heck of an offensive line coach, and Andy Thompson's a great defensive coordinator. But I looked back at the final drive, for example, and watched Jackson Slater and Brandon Weldon, the two guards, pull to the left perfectly and pick off their blocks, and Pierre Williams maintained his block for a long time, and Marshall Martin came in motion on the first play that was a 30-yard gain. He hit the block perfectly, and obviously Scadaboo blows up whoever he blocks. The, the way that the team is working in concert so perfectly, how they're coached to do that, and individually how they're inspired to be so excited about blocking is what's exciting to me. Yeah, and, and you're right. The attention to detail, the fact that they stay with it, um, the fact that they've been tested the last two weeks, they easily could have two losses on their resume here, but instead, Steve, they're eight and zero, historically great. <laughs> um, and you mentioned the crowds; it just, it, it, I know, I'll say it, and you and I have done this all the games together. I, I've never seen this team, this school, this fan base as energized as what they are seeing right now, ever. Never. And it's fantastic. And to know that we have the causeway coming up, um, we're always iffy on whether we root for Davis or not, since they're our rival. But now we have to root for them because we want the causeway to be just an epic, exciting game. And if we're getting 17,000 fans for Idaho, imagine how it's going to be at the stadium for the Causeway Classic. You can fit over 25, 26,000 people in there if you take the tarps off some of the seats. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's been it's been so much fun for us to do and uh this weekend unfortunately for a rare time you and I will not be together. That's going to be on my end. I'm going to be attending my younger brother's wedding. It's going to be awesome in Chicago. I'm in the wedding, family's all going. It's going to be great. But I'm going to be listening to you and to Dave Lewis who's uh, filling in and Danny Sullivan and Danny Pinto. Um, this weekend at Weber. So, uh, you know, we're usually together at these games, but what, what do you expect now? What might be the toughest one, Stephen? They just went through Montana to Idaho, and here comes Weber next on the schedule. This is just a brutal run for the Hornets. It, it is, and this is, you know, hopefully I'm the Portland State game is easier. They need one, one game that's easy because the last two have been come from behind victories in the fourth quarter. Now, the Weber State game, you know, and I got to tell everybody, Jason is such a diehard with Sacramento State football. He misses his Kings broadcast for Sacramento State football. Don't want to get you in trouble, but (laughs) they're the priority. And we've talked several times this week. I know you hate missing it. The crazy thing is the Hornets have won 21 of their last 22 Big Sky games, and that sounds absolutely impossible. And the last game that they lost, I'm the guy who sloughs off a bit. The last time the Hornets lost, I was in Florence, Italy, listening in the middle of the night to you call the game. That was their only big sky loss under Troy Taylor to Weber State. So this game, Jason, 
is the tough one because it's on the road at Weber State where they've only won one time in their history. Yeah, and it's Weber. That's the only team Troy hasn't defeated. The Hornets just, it was one of those games, and we talked about it in our broadcast, where kind of in the past two-plus-year run, they've done great things and gotten attention, and then maybe that, that home game where they got the attention they kind of they they didn't have their best performance, and Montana was going that way, and then they found a way to win. Last week was kind of reversed. They were playing great, and then a couple of mistakes, and credit Idaho for coming back and making that uh, more than a chance for the Hornets to lose. And then Steve, that kind of fast forwards us to the playoffs, and uh, of the trio of me, you, and Danny, that's always calling these games. Danny Sullivan's always the one that kind of keeps us from talking about the playoffs. But now at 8, no, this team is going. I mean, they they could lose the last three. We don't want them to. They will be in the playoffs. What's the next step? I don't know what this team is missing in the playoffs because they're really good, but they don't have a playoff win. That feels like that needs to be the check, the next check in the checkbox that they've got to they got to hit. It, definitely. And, and winning the game against Montana on national television was them winning under that kind of pressure, and they started poorly in that game. And coming back in this game, I think – in my opinion, in our history, when the Hornets were better than the Aggies certain years, they would try and return the punt before they caught it, and it would bounce off the chest. I won't name the player. They would try and get the extra yardage by the receiver, and he'd fumble the football. Um, they'd, try, they'd, they'd try too hard to make a big hit on the quarterback, and they'd get a personal foul. They would press. I think in both of those first two playoff games, one was in a terrible rainstorm, and our opponent had experience in bad weather, and the Hornets didn't. But both of the games that they lost that were big time that they should have won where they were a top-four seed, I think they pressed a little bit. I think this team finally, when they get to that first playoff game, is going to play relaxed like they're the better team. And in the 25 years we've done this, we, you and I, I don't know how many times would talk about that thought of a playoff game. Could you imagine a playoff, a playoff, a playoff? Now our concern is that they can't win in a playoff game. Like they're getting, you know, ranked high. They're number two. They'll, they'll getting home matchups. It's, it's crazy how much this has changed, how quickly over the last couple of years. It is. The expectations are so much higher. And let me just say something about Danny Sullivan, our sideline reporter. This is a podcast. You and I aren't on the phone right now, and he listens to the podcast. Mm -hmm. You and I are both going to be in big trouble for even discussing the playoffs because it doesn't (laughs) matter who we're playing. Danny will only talk about the next game that's ahead of us. When we're driving to the game, you and I go, well, next week we play Weber. The next week we do this, and Danny's all, we have to win today. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's because he gets the time on the sidelines. He's got coach speak down. Like he's he Danny gets all the attention from the coaches. You and I are locked up in our booth, and he is he's locked in like the coaches are. Mm-hmm. Yep. He yep. He's transferred to that mentality, <laughs> and so I, I know when he listens to this podcast. One, number one, he's going to say Steve talks too much. But number two, and now he's nodding. He's <laughs> nodding right now. But number two, he's going to say you guys don't get ahead of yourselves. Yeah. Well, yeah. um, I think these are all we, – we all know each other too well. That's These are all very accurate uh, statements. So just for you personally on this level, I mean, we do this. We've, we would love the job if they were 0-11, and we've done that, and then 1-10 and been around great people. That's really – it is about the relationships. But just for you, Steve, how much fun is this for you? Well, I'm really lucky. I don't know what it is, but I'm really taking it in because – obviously to have a chance to win three big sky championships in a row. And even if they don't get that this year, because there's other undefeated um, nine and four, nine and three currently eight and oh, I want to enjoy the ride. 
I'm still going to look back at this and say, how the heck did that happen? I, I go to bed at night after these last two wins and try and rethink in my mind, how did that happen? How did, what happened? And then even this morning I was um, watching the final drive and watching the blocking of the offensive line. I'd replay the plays rather than watch the amazing corkscrew spin for the touchdown that O'Hara had or watch how amazing Scadaboo is. I was watching the offensive linemen and the tight ends all execute their blocks. So I'm taking it in where I'm watching it over and over and just trying to knock it into my mind because this is truly incredible to win 21 out of the last 22 um, conference games in a row. Yeah. Uh, as before we go, I was thinking about that as you said that, uh, and we've seen so many things. And we started our fir- our run started with Charles Roberts, and you know I was still relatively new to this and thinking, oh, this is pretty standard. No, he was unreal. One of one, 200 yards a week was in 409. That's one of our great memories of all time. But Scadaboo is not Charles Roberts, but he also feels like one of one, Steve. I, I don't know that I've seen a player at a lot of levels quite like him. What do you think of, of what Scadaboo is doing? Well, number one, if, if, if we weigh like a certain amount or we have a certain amount of strength for how big we are, he's like he's double that because when you watch him on replays whether he has the ball or whether he's blocking when he hits somebody that's the same size as him they fly backward like he has twice as much force so i don't know what scadaboo's made out of but i've never seen a player that's as explosive as he is at his size yeah it's just it's fun to watch he's been putting on a show each and every week we've had fun with it uh, i wish you and danny and dave uh, a you know no stress broadcast as far as the equipment goes, and certainly uh, I'll be listening. I'm I'm saddened that I'm missing it, but it's a huge occasion for our family and my brother. And uh, see if they can keep this thing going, because I know we're all having fun. So have a, have a great call this weekend in Weber. Oh, thank you very much, Jason. And the key to victory is losing the coin toss. The Hornets are seventeen and zero when they lose the coin toss. That's all they have to do. They figured it out. Everyone's doing X's and O's. It's just lose the coin toss. <laughs> All right. Well, someday, someday I want to interview you because I'm sure that's what the audience would like to hear someday (laughs) where somebody's asking you the questions. Well, this is fun. I know I enjoy it. Steve, thank you. And again, have a great call this weekend. All right. Give my best to your brother. Well, and as you heard there in my conversation with Steve, yes, I have not missed many games in my Hornet history and family calls. It's going to be a wonderful wedding to go to my brother's wedding in Chicago It's going to be awesome family time, but I can tell you what I'm going to be doing on Saturday for bulk of that day, listening to uh, Dave Lewis will be on the call this week with Steve McElroy, with Danny Sullivan, with Danny Pinto, that whole crew, uh, number two, Sacramento State, number five, Weber State. It's going to be awesome. So I look forward to hearing that broadcast, Um, and I've already got plans to watch it on the flight back home on Monday, but I'll be out. It's, It's going to be Tough to be away from Hornet football, but it's going to be super exciting to be a part of a family event with my younger brother getting married this weekend in Chicago. It's going to be absolutely awesome. So with that said, we've heard from Steve. I also told you we got a special guest as well in Killian Roscoe, member of that Hornet defense, and here was my conversation with Killian. All right, so we're catching up with Killian Roscoe, uh, a veteran of the Hornet program. Um, Let's go back, Killian. Take us to how you landed at Sac State. Why was this the right fit for you? Uh, really small town I'm from. Really small town, really really small high school. So uh, I would say it's not too much of a recruited area. 
So I just went to camps. I went to this camp. I went to a few San Jose State camps. I was just, I got a lot of my exposure, not through play, but through going to camps. Mm -hmm. Because that was like the only way to get your name out if you're from a, you know, a a town where there's like four or 5,000 people. So I I just went to camps, and this is with uh, the old Sacramento State staff. They liked me. Uh, They picked me up. I signed here. I had a few other offers, but Sac State had a really good criminal justice program, and, you know, on the criminal justice yeah. route so I was like all right sounds good you know signed here and the rest is history <laughs> which coach uh kind of got their eyes on you here I know it's different staff but who, who brought you in at that time uh at the time the old offensive line coach Paul Wolf, Wolf. was the one who found me and then uh when I went to the camp here uh the old D-line coach Will Plemons took a mm-hmm. took an interest and then yeah you know just recruiting process yeah. and here I am so you've been through a lot with this program. You yeah. personally, I mean, that's, you know, I remember you played a lot as a freshman. There's been injuries. There's a COVID year. Mm-hmm. Here you are now in the number two ranked team. I mean, what a different coaching staff, yeah. too. Just yeah. Yeah. what's the journey been like for you? Um, you know, I, I wish I could say that it was, you know, like like I'm shocked or like, you know, I'm like super like amazed to be here, but I'm really not. Like, you know, even even back in the days when I was young getting here, I always knew this team had something special. Like, I always knew it. Like, this is Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Like, this is Sacramento. This is literally the capital of California. There's no way that we shouldn't be rolling through other teams. There's no way. Mm-hmm. There's no way. And I feel like with the new staff coming in, the new staff, you know, bringing in a lot of Sacramento guys and bringing that, that value to Sac State and that, like, you know, when, when you're looking outside in at programs – you know, some programs have that, you know, that feeling of, oh, I want to be a part of that. I feel like I feel like that now Sacramento State is developing that. And I feel like, you know, we're starting to be a program that people want to be a part of. And that's that's fantastic. <laughs> like that's that's key to winning. Yeah. So how do you think you did it? How did you guys build this? Because there were some lean years, some good years, but now there's a great years. Like what's what do you put your finger on as the difference into why it's now an undefeated season, two Big Sky championships, playoff appearances? This thing is rolling right now. How? Wh- what, in your words, is why is it working? Um, <clears throat> I would say it's because of the overall team mindset. I remember, you know, 2017, 2018, when we had a big week, you know, when we had a big team to play, like you, you could tell that, like, you know, it's not that people were nervous, but everyone was taking it a little bit differently. You know, everyone was like, "Oh, we got, we got so and so this week. We got to lock it in this week. This is a, this is a big week." Whereas this week, it's just another game. Mm-hmm. It's just another game. It's just a different team with different skill sets that we have to prepare for. There's no, there's no hype up of, you know, playing a number one team, and there's no looking down on playing a bottom ranked team. Mm-hmm. Every single team is met with the same preparation progress or process not progress i apologize every single team is met with the same process we we carry out our plans and practices the exact same every week and the reactions to set games you know it's it's consistent and that's probably what it would be is consistency and is that coming to fruition maybe the last two weeks because your guys seems like the dna is to get ahead of teams and then they just can't catch you, whether it's your defense, offense, special teams, building this nice lead. Well, you've had to work for it the last mm-hmm. two weeks ago yeah. with Montana. Then it was shaky last week against Idaho, yeah. but you guys found a way again, kind of that that inner strength, confidence, preparing for – is that kind of what's happened the last couple of weeks? Uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, I, w- I would say 
we don't listen too much to to media talk, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when people were making a huge deal out of us, you know, we're the only team to not tail or not mm-hmm. be behind or anything like that, we were just like, okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's going to be a time where we're going to have to come from behind, and that's fine. It's not like, you know, once you – it's not like once you put us out of position that we're going to be uncomfortable or we're not going to play well. You know, it – it's it's almost it's almost a calming sort of effect that it has on the team when you know that every team you play is going to bring their A game and going to bring their best because you know you just know that you have to play to a standard and to a level in order to get with these guys like you know and that level has to be the same every single week. You got another one of those this week. Weaver, really talented team, but to your point, if they were number one, if they're number one twenty one. Kind of same approach? Yeah, same approach. Yeah. Same approach. We stay consistent with it. They they have things they do very well, and we have things that we do very well. So we just want to put ourselves in the best opportunity to give us the best chance to win. Yeah. You know, We're going to treat them just the same as we treat any other team. Yeah. There's no rankings don't really matter to us. Our own rankings don't really matter to us. I couldn't even tell you what we are in the polls right now. I, I saw what we were like two or three weeks ago. Maybe we're in the same spot. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And not too many other guys know either. We just... We just play football. Yeah. It's a good perspective. I know Coach Taylor has that too. I, I, I'm marveled by it. And maybe that might be something different for when you guys get to the playoffs because I, I know that's been something that's missed, like kind of a missing piece. But mm-hmm. it seems like this mindset and approach seems to be pretty healthy for you guys. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. As for playoffs go, it's just, you know, playoffs are one of those things that, you know, we don't make a big deal out of anything at all. And then when we get to these, you know, these high stakes areas, you know, we're, we just, we don't make a big deal out of it. And, and it's a good thing, but, you know, at the same time, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, at least me personally, I feel like there's, there's just, you know, that we're just missing one thing mm-hmm. that just brings it all together. It yeah. just just culminates all of our playing and all of our preparation and everything. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I feel like we have it this year. That's awesome to, to hear it. You guys got uh, Weber State this week. Kelly, and I'm thinking about your career here. What are, what are your personal takeaways? What are you going to take with you when you're done and reflecting on your Hornet career? Any individual moments that stand out to you? Mm, individual moments. Because I will say yeah, this, just for me, yeah. but calling your games uh, for 25 years for Sac State, yeah. one of my favorite moments personally was the sack that you had Montana. at Montana yeah. to ice the game. Mm-hmm. That one I love personally, but yeah. I'm curious no, about. I, I loved it too, but, you know, if you look at – if you the, the, way, the way I see it, and this is like – and I believe this is the entire team's mindset. When I look at that sack I got, you know, I also look at – you know, I also look at the inside pressure that my interior guys got. I look at the opposite side of Josiah Erickson rushing and getting a good outside rush on the quarterback and causing him to step up in the pocket. So I don't look at my sack as like, you know, that's my sack. Like, you know, I sacked him. I I stopped it. No, the entire D-line came together, and Josiah put me in a great position for that quarterback to step up and me to sack him. And, like, when it comes to personal achievements, like, you know, yeah, personal achievements are great, but, like, you know, when you whenever you look at someone's personal achievements, you also got to look at the people around them. Yeah. Like you know, like Ash and Jake, they're doing fantastic. But pay attention to our own line too; mm-hmm. they're doing fantastic too. Like you know, it, it's a bunch of pieces of a puzzle. Yeah. And even though I, I I believe that I've had pretty good career here so far at Sac State, like you know, it wouldn't be anything if I didn't have those guys inside me. Yeah. Know? 
Yeah, it's well said there. I'm thinking about your defense, too, and Andy Thompson. So animated, uh, creative. Describe him as as kind of a defensive coordinator and coach. I love him. (laughs) I love him. He's a... Yeah, I've played for a lot of defenses. I've never played for a defense that was so chaotic yet so controlled Mm. at the same time, if that makes sense. And his coaching style, yes, he's very animated, but, you know, he's animated to a – he's animated in a way that conveys that sense of urgency that he wants us to have. We have to play fast. We have to swarm to the ball. Like, you know, as soon as we we make a tackle, as soon as we get a stop, we – get back up and get lined up because it's another play like you know let's go let's go you know don't don't stand here like yeah you know celebrate with your teammates and everything like that but like the big jumping hooping and hollering celebrating is for the sideline Mm -hmm. like you know dap your teammate up out there and line back up we got more football to play like you know so his coaching style you know when I'm even in practice even in practice I don't know if you've come Mm -hmm. out or anything like that but uh, you know hear him just yelling 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 you're not yelling at people it's just like you know yelling the coverages, yelling everything. <laughs> like, he's yelling every single part of whether it be the scout offense or whether it be our good-on-good good period. He's yelling everything, and we're just like, oh, man. Yeah. All right, let's get this rolling. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a treat to watch you guys defensively, too, because um, i, I got to imagine in camp going against your offense has, has made you guys better defensively. Oh, yeah. yeah, without a doubt. I mean, when you look at the teams with really good offenses, they typically have a solid defense mm-hmm. to back it up. And – you know, uh, going against, you know, Taylor's offense and going against these pieces that he set up on the board, you know, it's, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not fantastic all the time. It's not always fun because <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get a down block and I'm like, where the hell's the ball? <laughs> I see six people that just took off running in different directions. Like, ah, what's going on yeah. here? So uh, I, our defense as a whole, I would say has benefited greatly. Yeah greatly from having our offense to go against every single period and our scout team yeah. our scout team guys are not bad mm-hmm. at all like you know there, there's the age-old college football idea that you know scout team players are like these these you know sacks of potatoes that mm-hmm. you could just beat up ours aren't mm-hmm. ours aren't at any given moment one of our scout team guys can be pulled up and not only are expected to but can play they can play yeah. like there's I don't feel like there's huge amounts of drop off yeah. w- within the, the depth of the offense like every single one of those guys on that side of the ball can play well that was kind of called on was it two weeks ago uh Nagata doesn't play mm-hmm. uh day away gets targeted targeting yeah. he's out you get banged up a little bit Cooper yeah. gets hurt mm-hmm. and you know Riley Hernandez I'm sure they probably would and maybe still can redshirt but yeah. no not you're go in and, no, and make a difference yeah, yeah. I remember talking to him beforehand too, and you know Riley's a Riley's a hard worker. Mm-hmm. He's a really, really hard worker. I I love that young dude. And you know, I was telling him, I was like, yeah, man, you, you never know. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. Right. My, my first ever like college game was the first game of my freshman season. Like I didn't redshirt as a true mm-hmm. freshman. I I, I started oh, my, my first ever game against an FBS school. Who it was Idaho. So you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool when Idaho was still FBS. And uh, it's not like I earned the starting spot or anything like that. The guy in front of me was injured. So, you know, I, I had to step up. You know, I just had to step up. So I was talking to Riley before the game, and I said, hey, man, you know, you know your stuff. And you never know. Yeah. You never know. This is college football. Your time can come at any time. You could be a third, fourth, fifth stringer. And shit happens. Yeah. You know, pardon my language, but, you know, there's <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens. And he was ready for it. 
got to be ready. I, I'm curious, too, on being here so long, uh, family, friends, you know, students on campus. Now we're seeing 10,000, 15,000, 16,000 at the games. Uh, just Are you more people talking about it on campus, getting more attention? I mean, yeah. what's that like yeah. on campus? Yeah, I've, it's funny. I've, I've actually seen, like, not not seen, but I've had, like, three or four of my classmates, like, you know, hey, you play football? What number are you? No, it's all my number. And they're like, are you a quarterback? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a DN. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's okay, guys. I yeah. play defense. But, uh, <laughs> no, it, it, there's a there's an element of, you know, there's an element of, like, like community, I feel, starting mm-hmm. to develop. And it's something in the past that, like, you know, I, I felt like we tried to do, like, you know, with, with, like, students and student athletes. But, like, you know, I, and I feel like COVID is also a part of that. You know, sure. before COVID, you know, people were coming in, getting their stuff done and leaving. Like, you know, but after COVID, I feel like because people were locked up for so much, like, you know, it's not that they're trying to make up for lost time, but I feel like that people socially now have, like, a new respect mm-hmm. for, like, social gatherings. Because yeah. humans are social beings. We sure. want to be around each right. other. And, you know, I feel like, you know, w- what better way to, you know, go out and get that experience and go to a college football game. And on top of that, a college football game for your college, for a team that's doing well. Like, you know, all the factors are there. All the pieces are lined up. Like, just go and enjoy yourself now. (laughs) Hopefully for you, there's many more games left this year. But what's what's left for you? after this season what do you what do you want to do what do you see yourself doing in the future so after the season uh, i mean get a job <laughs> get a job and just start working a little bit you know i've uh college football there, there's a lot of demands and you don't get to be a normal regular person you always have some sort of training you always have some sort of regimen you always have some sort of schedule and the time that you have off you know, it, it's not too, too much. Yeah. So, But you're done with the game. I mean, would you try playing or coaching or giving mm-hmm. back or training, you know, any of that? You know, as far as, like, coaching and everything goes, I'm still in Sacramento. If I were to coach, it would be back in my hometown in Sonora. Mm-hmm. But I don't see myself really going back there too, yeah. too often enough and consistently enough to be able to coach. So I'd probably, I'd probably take a break from football. Mm-hmm. You know, football's been in my life for 16, 16 wow. years, give or take, 16 or 17 I don't know. I haven't done the math in a while, but I'd take some time off, you know, use my degree. I got a degree in criminal justice. So, you know, Sacramento, there's plenty of opportunities Mm -hmm. for it. You know, I was thinking Sac County Sheriff, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Well, I know football, though, prepared you for a lot of whatever the next thing. So it's exciting. I know you'll uh, I know you'll succeed and I hope you have a, a great rest of your season. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Killian. All right, thanks to him. I right, thanks to Steve McElroy. We're going to wrap things up with a look ahead to this Weber matchup. Weber State is a great football team. If you look at what Weber State has done this year, um, it's very impressive. Very similar things that Sacramento State has done as far as uh, winning, playing up. They had a dominant performance this year when they played up. And this has just been a good football team for several years. Really strong defensively. I would say it's the best defense the Hornets have faced. So that's going to be... You know, one of the best offenses versus the one of the best defenses always shows up as just a headliner. You got number two versus number five. But you look overall at what Weber State has done this year. They're going to come in 7-1, and 4-0 at home. Tough place to play. Uh, a game that, you know, when they played down, they beat Western Oregon easy to open up the year 41-5. to Went to Logan, Utah to play Utah State, much like the Hornets and the Mountain West went to 
Colorado State won convincingly. Well, Weber State did that early on as well, beating Utah State 35-7. to So they've played up with a 28-point win. Beat Utah Tech, a similar opponent to the Hornets, 44-14. to Beat UC Davis. Uh, that was in Davis, 17-12. to Beat Eastern Washington, another common opponent with the Hornets, 45-21. to Beat Portland State, who the Hornets will face in a week, um, on the road, 42-7. to Had a brutal day in Bozeman, but nearly won. They had four safeties given up. They gave up four safeties with four bad snaps and lost 43-38. Nearly came back to win that game. And last week, they beat Montana 24-21. They will finish out with very winnable games against Idaho State and Northern Arizona. So the balance here of what this game means, there's a lot of people that do this for a living as far as projections for the postseason and what it could mean if Sacramento State could win Saturday and win their last two. There's a lot of people that believe if they were 11-0 and based on schedule, based on the big sky, they think that the Hornets would be ranked number one, the number one seed. Forget the polls. I know they're number two in one poll and number three. It's when the committees get together, do a fine-tooth comb through this and evaluate all the metrics. A lot of people who do this for a living think the Hornets would be number one. Now, that's not on, uh, you know, a, a factor going into Saturday. They need to win. They need to find a way to do it. Same thing can be said for Weber State. They only have the one loss. If they get this win, they would likely be a higher-seeded team. They likely would end 10-1. and one. And, you know, could force a lot of teams to have to go through Weber in the postseason. So it's a swing game for a lot of uh, a lot of things in rankings in the big sky and historic value of what uh, the Hornets have done. They've only won at Weber once. And this is the only team in conference that Troy Taylor has not been able to defeat. They faced him a couple years ago at Hornet Stadium, lost that game. In fact, that's their last big sky conference loss. So. So much on the table, so much to look forward to. And the other thing, and again, you know, recording this midweek, looking at weather, because that's something we've been tracking all week long, what it could look like in Ogden. And it's fluctuated from um, pretty nasty to acceptable. The latest 10-day forecast, and we're just a couple days out from that, has Saturday with rain at the moment, about a 75% chance of rain. I will say earlier in the week, it was rain and snow doesn't look at the moment that it's going to be cold enough, but that can change because it's snow on Friday. Looks like snow on Sunday with rain on Saturday. So weather could be a factor. Um, Hornets haven't played in a lot of those kind of situations. Certainly this group hasn't. So we will see how that will all play out. I uh, encourage you all, though, to uh, keep telling everybody else about this podcast. I do appreciate the feedback. If you want to send me more uh, ideas or more things you'd like to hear. I do appreciate that. You can reach me on Twitter at Jason Ross 1140, or uh, if you see me at a game or somewhere, find some way to get in touch with me. I would love it uh, to get more info and more feedback on how you think the podcast is going, but that's it for us. My thanks to Steve McElroy. My thanks to Killian Roscoe. Thank you for all for listening. And we'll be at, be back next week to recap Weber state and look ahead to Portland state on another edition of the Sacramento state football stingers up podcast stingers up.